Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and return Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to let me know over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com and connect with me on Instagram at MyPeaceCorpsStory or on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story. Additionally, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. Speaking of five-star reviews, I'd like to give a shout-out to Lex850677. They write, Love your show, Tyler. I started tuning in in August, and I have been a big fan since then. Just listening to reflections, thoughts, stories from other serving or return volunteers while sipping on my morning coffee in Uganda during my service has been interesting and entertaining. Your podcast makes me feel a little more connected to other volunteers all over the world and reminds me of the important work we do. It is very validating. Thank you for the work, and I look forward to your podcast every Tuesday. Well, Lex, Thank you very much for the review, and I hope you enjoy this episode while sipping your coffee. Speaking of this episode, I am very pleased to welcome Vin and Kelly Anderson to the show. They served in Tanzania from 2014 to 2017 as education volunteers, but their service is a little different because they served as a married couple in their 40s. Without further ado... This is this is this is this is my my peace course peace course my peace course my peace course story story story. I'm Kelly Anderson. I'm Ben Anderson, and, and this, this is, is our peace course story. story. Kelly and Vin, welcome to the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm very excited to talk with you today. Uh, you guys definitely have a different outlook on Peace Corps service because you guys served uh, a little bit later in life than is uh, traditional for most volunteers. You know, a lot of volunteers are in their early, mid, sometimes late 20s. That makes up the, the bulk of volunteers. But anybody that has looked into the Peace Corps knows that volunteers range all the way up into the 70s. Maybe even the oldest volunteer was in the her 80s. I don't remember. Uh, That's true. Is, is that true? Yeah, I think that that's true. And I think even in Tanzania, there's uh, there's somebody that's yeah. about 80 right now. Yeah. So start off and tell us a little bit about yourselves, where you served in Peace Corps and what you were doing. This is Kelly. Um, we, we served from 2014 to 2017 in Tanzania, in East Africa. Um, but then... This is actually my second Peace Corps experience. Uh, my first was uh, in my 20s, like most Peace Corps volunteers. Um, I was a community forest, forestry extension agent in Thailand. In this second experience, I, Kelly and I were teachers um, uh, at a secondary school uh, in Kilimanjaro region. So the two experiences were, were quite different for me. One was like in my 20s where I was uh, fresh out of college and, you know, so many things were new to me. Uh, whereas my most recent experience uh, was in Tanzania 
and there um, I came with more of a professional experience. Um, I'm I'm a teacher, a licensed teacher in Minnesota. Um, you know, with uh, over ten years of experience. My first experience was a community agroforestry extension agent. So I was working in the village. Uh, um, so yeah, so I did a lot of um, projects. Like I wrote grant money to fund a uh, silkworm raising project. Um, they were at the time that I I went there. Um, the silkworm raising at that village was um, on the decline. And uh, when I was there, I worked with my supervisor to access funding um, through, I think it was like the Netherlands embassy or another funding agency. And um, um, he created a revolving fund so that farmers would borrow money from that fund to um, finance the raising of silkworms. Uh, and then they would sell uh, the silkworms and then get money and um, profit from that and then pay back their loan. Um, and I, I also did like a few other uh, small projects, secondary projects to help villagers earn money during my time there. Okay. So you guys meet after your your, your first stint of, of service get married and then you guys decide together or maybe it's like uh, Vin saying, Hey Kelly, there's this thing called Peace Corps. Uh, you interested? Like how, how did that come about? Yeah. I think that when Vin and I first met, she had actually just come back from teaching in Cambodia at an international school. So I think the the experience of Thailand definitely planted that seed of, of you know, wanderlust and adventure and travel. You know, this idea of Peace Corps came up. And when she told me about her service in Peace Corps, I had always been interested in this. This was like a dream of mine. I had uh, gone down that road twice uh, in the 90s, just out of college. I signed up and then sort of backed out of it because I think at the time it just felt too self-indulgent for me or something. I didn't have a role model for this in my background, so it didn't feel right at the time. And then I signed up again uh, when I was 27 and started going down that road and backed out a second time. And it was just something that was always there. And then um, after Ben and I got married, we we would do a lot of uh, adventure things. We would usually go to the Boundary Waters Canoe area on our anniversary, and we do a lot of camping and that type of thing. And one year we were at this national park called uh, Isle Royale, and we were backpacking across the island. And I think after seven days or so of just living out of our backpacks, uh, I just had this epiphany and thought, you know, we should we should sell everything that we own. We should get rid of everything that we own. We owned two houses at the time. We had a car, a truck, kayaks. We had the whole American dream. And I told her we should just ditch it all and join the Peace Corps and just kind of complete that dream. And I think Ven was just waiting for that moment. So she instantaneously just said yes. So uh, it took about two years to unravel everything and uh, get everything sold. And when we first signed up for the Peace Corps, it was at that moment when they were first transitioning into the, the new system that they have. So 
we completely rolled the dice and didn't have any input as far as what country we were going to be in or what sector. We just filled out the application and said, send us where you think we'll be of uh, best use, I guess. And um, yeah, so we left uh, in July of 2014. Mm-hmm. One, uh the love that you you had this idea while hiking Aural. Uh, I've I've been there, hiked across it. Absolutely had a blast. Uh, pre pre Peace Corps for me, but I can see how just be, being out there, living out of a backpack, can sort of spur that. Okay, what's our next challenge? What are we going to uh, take on? And also uh, love the fact that you said that you had applied twice before and didn't go through with it because you felt, you know, it was somewhat self-indulgent or just didn't feel right. Because actually my, I myself uh, did the exact same thing first, like right out of undergrad, I, I started the application process more or less because I didn't know what I was going to do after undergrad. And I was like, well, this doesn't seem right. And then did it again about a year and a half later for the exact same reason. And then eventually I was like, okay, no, I see how this is going to work into a bigger picture of why I should go. So that definitely resonated with me as well. Now, as as volunteers in Tanzania, what did day-to-day life look like for you guys? Either, you know, both, well, I guess both on the personal side and, you know, your work. Like, what, what were you guys doing? So I think for our, like a year and a half, um, like every day, we, we lived on the foothills of Kilimanjaro. So every day we would put on our hiking boots and hike down to the school, which took about, you know, 20 minutes um, going downhill. And uh, we would teach our classes. I taught math and Kelly taught English. We both taught it form one level, which is uh, comparable to eighth or ninth grade here. And um, the schedule there is uh, is different from what you would see in America. It's like teachers have periods that they would teach. And then um, like, you know, it wasn't it was it you didn't like work a full day per se that you would in the U.S. like with a prep period if you were a teacher. Um, like sometimes like on one day I could have uh, two periods and then and then the rest is like prep time or uh, grading homework or something. And then a second day I could have like six periods. Um, so it was uh, it was very flexible in that sense. Uh, you know, we would eat lunch at the school, which could consist of um, like ugali, which is like a, a thick it's kind of like mashed potatoes, but much thicker and made from uh, cornmeal and with some meat or we could have like rice and bean or, or rice with meat. And then we were later on in the evening, um, our first year or so, we were there until like four or five and then we would hike back up the mountain. And that was like more like uh, 30 or 40 minutes, depending on our energy level, because we were going uphill. And if it was raining. Right. (laughs) And yeah. And so then we would get home and, you know, do the usual preparing of meals and um, just relaxing and reading or talking. We were fortunate in that we we actually had electricity on most days. You know, it would it's not consistent. Um, And then we we also had running water, which was not true for many volunteers in Tanzania. Okay, And then. 
getting into one of the, the most basic questions that I, I ask in these interviews, do you guys have a, a favorite memory or story? I mean, you guys, you haven't been back that long, uh, but what, what's that story that, you know, you, you love telling when someone asks you, Oh, like, you know, what, what did you do? Uh, what, what, what were you there, you know, seeing and experiencing? Uh, do you guys have one of those stories as a, a favorite Peace Corps memory? I'd probably kind of break that up into two parts because, you know, we we served um, the first two years in Kilimanjaro. And, you know, I think my, you know, like Ben said, we lived on the side of Mount Kilimanjaro. It was incredibly beautiful every single day. And we were surrounded by these fantastic birds and it was stunning. I, I don't know if I'll ever live in any place that beautiful again. Um, not only did we have the view of of uh, Kilimanjaro, but we also had this other mountain called Mount Meru, which is extremely wonderful. And then, you know, for me, really just it's the students. Um, I know that's probably cliche, but uh, you really form an attachment and a bond with them. And you're working with them every day. And it was a boarding school, so you spent a lot of time with them and uh, – I was in particular doing a lot of leadership programs and trying to build up confidence and gender equality. And, you know, you're working on a lot of Peace Corps initiatives and sort of feeding them in in different ways, you know, working on HIV awareness and um, malaria programs. And you're kind of feeding that all into your English class. But, you know, in addition to an English club, you're developing a library and things. I think what I was really you know, like the happiest with was uh, we had a leadership team. I had four students that I was really mentoring. And there was an opportunity that arose that we could get this scholarship program. There was um, an umbrella grant that had been put out there and uh, a number of volunteers working in schools around the country uh, were submitting applications for the scholarship. And my students made um, a movie about leadership. They they wrote the screenplay and we worked on that as like an English project. And then we filmed it. I had taken a camcorder with and we made this little movie and then we submitted that with some essays and they won the scholarship. And we were able to go to Morogoro and spend a week with other volunteers from around the country. And it was the most exciting thing these kids had ever done in their lives. And to witness that and be part of it was uh, truly amazing. So that was probably my best memory from the teaching experience. And then, if you don't mind, I double up on that because we extended uh, as um, PCBLs uh, and we were based out of Dar es Salaam. And I had the opportunity to be that head PCBL for the PST um, involving the education class for 2017. And we had 59 new volunteers come in, uh, or new trainees, I should say. That was another really great opportunity to work with other resource volunteers, work with the Tanzanian staff, the Peace Corps staff, get to know those new, new trainees, impart any wisdom that I might have acquired during my first two years and be part of their lives in, in hopefully a meaningful way, trying to uh, build up their resiliency for their service. So it was a great opportunity. 
So I just want to clarify and just explain some of the acronyms that Kelly <laughs> just threw out. So, you know, PSC, you know, this is pre-service training and PCVL is Peace Corps volunteer leaders um, that Tanzania had. As for me, I think what I liked most about my uh, my two years on in Kilimanjaro was uh, just returning to a simpler way of life. Um, we were living in the village and and, you know, it's it's like I had to um, walk to uh, a neighbor's to get milk, fresh milk from her. And I was also like purchasing eggs from the village as well, like from another neighbor or a co-worker. We had a garden and there was just a lot of solitude, you know, time to read, time to listen to podcasts. Um you know, and, and I, I suppose for some people um, that could get lonely, but be, I guess we had each other and, you know, we were at a, a time and a space in our life where we really appreciated that. Uh, I guess for, yeah, for, for during my, um, my third year extension, I worked with, uh, I worked with training. So I was working with our language and cross-cultural facilitators, uh, sharing, using my teaching experience and training and sharing with them activities um, that they could use with their with the with the Peace Corps volunteer trainees themselves to make it more interactive. Um, I was also helping to facilitate sessions for the incoming class of trainees, education volunteers. And um, I also uh, initiated um, the uh, more resources to uh, for the training of the new volunteers, like translating storybooks um, to Swahili. And I also worked with um, our, some of our Peace Corps staff to edit their their presentations and, and give them advice on how to make their presentations more learner-centered and just, you know, to help them improve their presentation skills. So for me, it was, you know, um, my third year was uh, I enjoyed the professional growth um, that was involved with that opportunity. Definitely sounds like you guys did a lot and you know, have a, a plethora of amazing memories from your service. Well, one thing that I'm interested in, well, it's two things. One, uh, serving as a, a couple in the Peace Corps, if you guys could talk a little bit about that. And then secondly, you know, serving as volunteers who were many times 10, 15 years older than the other volunteers, you know, in your, your training group. Okay. So, um, let's see here, uh, serving as a married couple. I, I think it's easier <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, as far as like the resiliency thing goes, you do have each other you know, on a daily basis. And you, I think the important thing there it, with, in our relationship, we tend not to be in that low spot together. There's usually one of us that's positive. So when you do have those kind of devastating moments that happen to all volunteers, when you're with, you know, when you're a couple, you do have somebody to catch you when you're falling. And, you know, that's very useful. Uh, the important thing is to remember not to get to a low spot together. So we kind of have a pact uh, that we can't vent for too long. 
about something that's going wrong uh, and kind of wallow in that. But for the rest of it, I think that that's I think it's it's very useful. Um, and I can't really imagine it doing it as a single person as uh, oh, I had another thought on that. Now I can't remember. Um, did you want to speak about that? Yeah, I mean, I feel what I uh, what I've always appreciated about my overseas experience is just being exposed to like so many new experiences, and that just um, just I guess it it's like a lifelong journey for me. It it allows me to grow because um, I am confronted with challenges. And so not not only do I grow personally from um, the the ideas that people have, the the, the cultural differences, um, but also like being with Kelly, it's like you know you I we also became stronger in our relationship because of the challenges as well as the um, the experience that we have shared together um, that you know, that maybe we may have experienced had we been together longer. But I think that just being overseas, you're just inundated with um, with other, with so many different um, cultural differences that it, it forces you to evaluate who you are as a person and um and to reflect on that and to see how you define yourself based on that um and also like as as a couple in our mid 40s mid career um in in our training group it was i mean we we it was definitely a challenge because um we didn't really feel like we had any other peers uh peers among the group aside from the two of us um the bulk of the trainees in our group of uh 61 we started with 61 initially most of them were in the early 20s just out of college we had a few mid 20 30 uh, mid 30, we had us in our 40s, and we had a lady, um, a recently retired teacher, who was around 65. So, so the range was was very wide, and uh, it just it felt like uh, we didn't quite feel like we belong. So that that was a challenge. Like when we're together with the big group. Uh, you know, something about being in a group, it felt like we were back in the classroom in college or high school again. It could have been better, I suppose. Um, I think even uh, if you talk to, you know, I can only speak about Peace Corps Tanzania, but talking to other married couples, even couples that are in their late 20s or early 30s, they often feel that they're kind of on the outside of the group looking in. And for us being in our mid 40s, I, you know, it's really hard for the younger volunteers not to look at us and have a sense of like, like that we're parental. And as much as we're trying to avoid that, it's really hard for them not to see that. And everybody comes to Peace Corps with different motivations and, and that's okay. Uh, we need that. But yeah, it was it was at times really difficult to feel like we were fitting in and it did seem like we were being left out. And I do know of, 
you know, I do know that that's been a struggle for other married couples as well. And for for single older people. And I think when we were when I was doing the PCVL role for the new education class, we were really working on resiliency programs that would help them have individual skills to uh, weather the storm, but also to develop as a, a, a group that could support each other in a healthy way. So we had a lot of conversations about the diversity of the group as far as, you know, couples, age, race, ethnicity, gender, orientation. These things are huge issues within Peace Corps that we do need to be looking at. And we do need to kind of get away from this idea that Peace Corps is solely about the fresh out of college, 22-year-old white usually from a privileged background type of person. And it's still kind of geared that way. And I think that we could do a better job in that. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. It's I saw it slowly transitioning in Burkina where I served, but it's definitely felt that it was a lot of white, upper middle class, coastal, where the volunteers were coming from. And those volunteers that didn't feel that fit that mold felt a little ostracized and you know anything that you can do to to level level that out and not make them feel on the fringe uh, so definitely thank you for doing that work in Tanzania and hopefully that it translates into other countries as well yeah i mean i'm hoping that we're having these conversations worldwide um because it's it's really important uh i'm a white male uh you know i have that sense of privilege to begin with i know for in Tanzania it's relatively easy for me because I I have my age and you know that that sense of privilege carries over there. That's not the same thing for a, a lot of our volunteers of color and especially for the women. Um, you know, Ven uh, had in many ways a different experience when she wasn't with me. We as a group of volunteers, we need to be supportive of each other and and again, I guess, have more conversations about this, mm-hmm. especially in training. Hey everybody, sorry for the interruption, but if you're enjoying this episode and the My Peace Corps Story podcast, please consider becoming a patron of the show. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash mypeacecorestory or mypeacecorestory.com slash support. Patreon is an online platform that helps creators like myself get paid and fund the projects that they absolutely love doing. If you want to help me continue to tell stories of Peace Corps volunteers for as little as $1 a month, please consider becoming a patron of the show. Head on over to patreon.com slash mypeacecorestory or mypeacecorestory.com slash support. Now, back to the show. And with with all the, the good that you saw, experienced, did... I ask usually, you know, one of your least favorite memories, and, and you both actually uh, shared the, the same sort of memory or idea that was least favorite that you saw as as educators, and that was the idea of you know corporal punishment within the school system. Would you like to to speak to that and explain what you what you mean by corporal punishment for those who haven't served and you saw it firsthand, and maybe what you did, if anything, you know, sometimes it's very difficult to combat it uh, and, and how you tried to overcome uh, 
that? Corporal punishment is the um, institutionalized um, caning of students, and uh, it's legal in Tanzania under their laws, but their laws provide for like specific rules. Like, for example, you can only uh, hit girls, like you can only hit four times, and it has to be recorded on uh, some sort of a log, um, so documenting what the offense was, and that it it had to be done by the head of school. I mean, there are specific guidelines for it, but what we found was that uh, it was just overused and, and abused. Um, the kids could be caned for not doing their job of cleaning in the morning. They could be caned if they performed poorly from one exam to the next. Uh, never mind that the the questions changed, and um, or the questions and the the uh, the the test could change. The topic could change. The teacher could have missed the class. The students um, might have been absent. Um, so it, it was just they called it uh, negative mobility, like performing worse um, on uh, from one exam to the next. Um, so. Um, we weren't, you know, we, we understood that that is part of their culture and their system. And what was really hard to deal with it was the hypocrisy involved in it, that they weren't following the guidelines that they set out. And, you know, and, and they were hitting kids for academic performance. And, you know, I, I have a background in teaching. It just seems like so wrong because kids could have some sort of um, disability, you know, you know, some of the other factors I mentioned were that, you know, maybe the teachers didn't teach well, maybe they didn't have the background for it. So there were just so many things that, um, you know, that that could be involved. It was really hard because you couldn't do anything about it. Um, and our, uh, and, you know, granted we did try, but Peace Corps advises that it, it isn't your job and you're going to get yourself into an unsafe situation. And they advised us to just leave um, when we see that happening. Yeah. I think when you, when you first signed up for Peace Corps, when you're filling out the paperwork, they ask you questions that are along the lines of, are you willing to put up with hardship during your service? And you know, when I was thinking about that, I was thinking, you know, am I prepared to carry water, you know, to my site? Am I prepared to go without electricity? And for those types of things, the answer was certainly yes. We totally expected to have those types of hardships. I mean, we weren't going into this with this attitude of like, we're giving up two years of our lives or anything like that. We kind of welcomed the, this great opportunity. But I don't think that the corporal punishment thing was anywhere on my horizon. And we certainly didn't know about it going into it. And maybe that's because we didn't ask the questions or, or I don't know. Once we got there, we it certainly came up during our training. But like Ven said, it's a gray area. There's really no great advice that you can give on this issue. But once you're at site, it depends from school to school. Some schools rely on it very heavily. It's a part of the culture. It's like Ven said, legal. It does get abused, but 
hearing about it and witnessing it are really two different things. And when you're spending so much time with your students and developing rapport and learning about their lives and you just know the struggle that they go through every day, it's difficult. It is you know, really difficult to get an education in Tanzania. And witnessing it firsthand is really hard. And I think for for me as an American citizen, I think that we're taught somehow that when something wrong is happening, it is our civic duty to step in and do something about it. But it's a different situation. Yes, it could be a situation where the the rules are being abused, but you interfering in it may not be and probably is not the best way of dealing with it. And we struggled with that a lot because, I mean, I still have regrets about interfering at times when I just couldn't seem to shake it off. And I have regrets about not interfering at times. But I also don't want to necessarily blame the teachers or anything. Like Ben said, they don't have they don't have other models. Uh, they haven't seen it, how it works in other ways. And they don't have the training for the most part. So we were trying to to work with that and help develop other means of classroom management. But when push comes to sh- shove, uh, because of national testing and everything in Tanzania, it's extremely difficult when teachers' uh, salaries and bonus pay uh, are on the line. It's not like they're making a lot of money, right? So it's it's really hard for them to put into this effort when being a teacher, that's probably just one that they do because they probably own a farm. Everybody owns a farm and they also probably have some other side hustle, which is like a small store or something. So they're just trying to get by. So it's really frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it's difficult at times when you're faced with something that is institutionalized or part of the culture, but you feel is just absolutely wrong. And how do you either come to terms with it or deal with it in a constructive way uh, that's not going to cause more problems or ostracize you from your community? Uh, so I, I think a lot of what you said is going to be useful for those volunteers who are currently serving in Peace Corps. So thank you. What do you, what do you miss about Peace Corps? I mean, you, you haven't been uh, back that long, but just from the time that you've been back, uh, what are you missing the most about your service? I think for me, um, one of the things that I really appreciate about Tanzania as a culture is that, you know, the people are really, really warm and you know they greet you with a a sincere smile every day and it took me a while to get used to the idea of their greeting system because you know you live in this small village and you greet each other every single day and there is a whole series of greetings and you're asking about how's your house how's your family how's your work you know on and on and in coming from the American tradition, it seems a little tedious at first, but I did learn to appreciate that what was going on was that everybody was being acknowledged and and from every like every small child to the eldest person in the community, they were being acknowledged for their existence and you know, it was basically saying, I see you and and you're part of this community. And I like that. And that, you know, we don't really have that so much here in America. And so I kind of miss that. 
it's hard to for me not to compare my two experiences just because I have lived through them. But my first experience, um, you know, I it was amazing. I'm Vietnamese and um, I served in Thailand, so um, I was kind of coming home to my roots because Thailand and Vietnam had so much in common. And I just felt like, you know, it was a different life. So there was a lot of exploration and and learning um, about doing things and learning about myself professionally. Um, so that was a, a lot of fun. Tanzania was, for me, a very mixed experience. Um, I came to Tanzania with with training in education and, and experience. And it's a mixed experience because while I could have done more for the school that I served and we did try, my skills were not fully utilized. And um, I've shared my our, heart, our challenges with the corporal punishment you know, I appreciated the experience and I'm I'm glad that we did it, but I'm I'm also that part of my life is done and I'm glad to be home with my family. There was one thing that was mentioned that I wanted to be sure to, to double back on the fact that Kelly, you had said, you know, that you guys were mid mid career when you decided to go to Peace Corps. And I think there's a lot of people that they're not even mid-career, uh, you know, they're in their 20s, but they're, they've started into their career, you know, they've done three, four, five uh, plus years, but Peace Corps is something that they, they want to do and they sort of tell themselves, well, I, I can't go now, uh, you know, I'll have to wait until retirement. This is something that I'll table until retirement. I mean, each person has to make their own decision, but what are some, I guess, words of advice or encouragement that you guys could give to someone thinking about the Peace Corps that isn't, you know, fresh out of college? I think for me, I've always viewed my life as a journey. And, you know, I don't want to be on my deathbed and and, and think to myself, oh, I wish I could have done that, you know. So I've always lived my life like that. So that that was how I justified going abroad in my 20s as well. I, I think it's for me, like exposing myself to different experiences has, has been so enriching for me. I gain as a person, I've, I've gained greater wisdom as a result of the experiences that um, I have challenged myself to. And I think that you know, life is a journey. So it's life is more than just money. It's it's finding what makes you happy. It's it's finding um, your authentic self. And you can't do that unless you're experiencing different circumstances that that challenge you as a person. Yeah, I would say that, you know, these these timelines or guidelines that we give ourselves, they're, you know, to some extent, they're put on by society, and then you know, we we take them on and we accept them and employ them. And like I said, I, I tried to sign up when I was 22 and backed out of it because I thought that I needed to get a job and make money. I, you know, coming from a background that was relatively poor, I thought that's what I needed to do. You know, looking back on it now, I probably would advise the younger Kelly to just do it. I did the same thing at 27 because I thought I was almost too old. And that seems just ridiculous now. <laughs> I guess I wish I would have just done it then. But at that time, I had a good career and I thought I should probably make money. 
you know, I was 45 when we finally joined the Peace Corps, and I have no regrets about that. It was certainly not easy. It had a lot of difficulty in it, and it had some of the best moments of my life. But, you know, that that was fine. Our model is a little bit odd. You know, we don't have children. So that's one thing that makes it a little bit easier for us. I can understand if people have children, that makes it uh, more difficult. But also, I think any time is a fine time to join the Peace Corps. And there are opportunities there. Like I said, we sold everything or gave it away. And right now we're back here in the States and we're living in my brother-in-law's basement. And that's great. It's good to be with family and we're helping out here, but we're only here temporarily. In April, we're going to leave to go hike the Grand Enchantment Trail. And we've got three months to do about 800 miles. And then when we get done with that, hopefully uh, we'll be moving to most likely Asia uh, to work at an international school. So we're not, we're still sort of groundless. And that is basically the plan for a while. We're going to just continue to do these two to three year stints and maybe Peace Corps will come back around again. I know that we're definitely looking at um, the, you know, maybe the, um, what is that called? Peace Corps response. Peace Corps response. Yeah. So that might come back around eventually too. Mm -hmm. Before we end, uh, this episode, is there anything else you guys would like to share? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I think I mentioned to this to you um, in the, you know, that you had mentioned something about like, you know, uh, members of Congress and that type of thing. And, you know, it's just sort of an interesting story that uh, we had a congressional visit to our site. And that was a really great experience. We had 22 members of uh, Congress come to our school, senators and members of Congress and different representatives. Uh, one of them, turned out to be our representative, uh, Keith Ellison, and uh, he was just super excited when he learned that we were from his district. And uh, he uh, kind of became an advocate for us and was definitely helping us uh, to put together our library at our school and and in whatever uh, directions that he could, you know, he, he hooked us up with a program called Books for Africa. And and that was sort of a highlight experience, too. We had the director of Peace Corps there, our country director, all these other people. And that led to a number of different opportunities, working with Books for Africa, and which led to working with this other organization that develops books for Tanzanian school children and, and getting people involved with the translation. I don't know. I'm babbling now, but it's just amazing that the things that happen in Peace Corps, how they unfold. And there's just... There's a certain magic to it. And Peace Corps ends up being what what you make it. And volunteers sometimes go into it thinking that they know what that experience is going to be. And it seems to me that if you just go there with an open mind and wait a little bit to see what arises, there's a lot of stuff that can happen. And there's just a, a myriad of ways that you can be of service and they might not be what you thought they were going to be. So for people going into Peace Corps, lower your expectations and you'll be rewarded. That sounds good. I'm not going <laughs> to try to beat that. <laughs> well, thank you guys for coming on the show. And in, in closing, I 
like to ask people for a uh, favorite quote or local saying. So what do you guys have from for us from Tanzania? Well, I think I'm going to let Kelly do the phrase from Tanzania. The one that I remember from Thailand that has stuck with me still is my uh, penrai, which means uh, it doesn't matter. And it's just their way of letting issues go and just to be happy because people have to live together. And so just let the small things go. So I appreciate that. Yeah. And for Tanzania, which uh, is a country that has over 125 different tribes within the country, and that's 125 different tribal languages, part of the secret of success of Tanzania, you know, after getting independence in 1961 and remaining a stable democracy, you know, they haven't had civil wars or, any, you know, they have been really, really peaceful. It's a country that is uh, about 50 percent Christian and 50 percent Muslim. And uh, so a phrase in Swahili, which is kind of the unifying language across the country, is uh, mungu ni mungu, which is God is God. I find that really refreshing because I never really saw anybody, any religious strife. People are free to be whatever they want to be in that way. And it doesn't matter because God is God. So that one kind of stuck with me. There's also like little words like shagalabagla, which means chaotic. That was one of my favorite words. Or uh, pole, which is this empathetic form of sorry that I keep using here stateside and nobody knows what I'm talking about. I'm going to fat check one of Kelly's uh, statements. Um, the, the composition of Tanzania is a third Christianity, a third Muslim, and a third like tribal beliefs. That's probably a better way of phrasing it. Thanks. <laughs> well, thank you guys for coming on the My Peace Corps Story podcast, uh, spending some time with me and all the listeners and letting them know about your story. Uh, as soon as you guys signed up, uh, it, it comes through this generated list that MailChimp spits out to me. And I saw, you know, you guys were like, oh, we served in our mid 40s. I was like, okay, they need to be on the show so other people can, you know, hear their experience and know that it's just not a bunch of 20 year olds, that Peace Corps is out there for all American citizens to, to go see the world and try to do some good. So thank you guys for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you, Tyler. I really, I love Peace Corps. I think it's an awesome opportunity for anybody, anytime in their lives. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Tyler. I really appreciate the work that you're doing here. And thank you for the opportunity to, to uh, let us tell our story because when we were when we were signing up, we couldn't find anyone to talk to that was sharing this model. So I hopefully, hopefully it's helpful for other people. Most definitely. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Once again, if you want to stay better connected with me and the My Peace Corps Story podcast, head on over to MyPeaceCorpsStory.com. If you want to know my personal Peace Corps story, please check out my book, Service Disrupted, available on Amazon. Every volunteer has a story. What's yours? <laughs>